before the sitting this morning, I'd like to share a few ideas about practice. Um, I think about two years ago, I was having a conversation with a Dharma friend, Alexis, and um, he, uh, he told me um, just three little points about practice. Um, and uh, it really resonated with me. And after years of practice, suddenly, the, anyway, I really enjoyed this, remembering these three little points when I sit down to meditate. And I wanted to share these with you because I thought they might be useful to you also. Um, and at this point, it's maybe a little bit my understanding of these three points that he talked about two years <laughs> ago, but uh, you'll see what, uh, what's in there for you. Um, so there was a, one point about right view, right understanding of what we're doing. As we sit, it's important to understand uh, well what, what, uh, what we're doing. And uh, uh, one way to present this is to, uh, for me, is to clarify as I sit that I'm actually um, I'm about to discover, I'm interested in the human experience, in the humanity, you know, and how it shows up, how it manifests. Um, so the move f uh, for me there is a little move somewhat away from the personal to the universal. So no, it's not about me being so agitated or me having so much pain in my knee, but it's about, oh, pain, strong sensation, is a human experience. Agitation is a human experience. A calm is a human experience. Breathing is a human experience. Do you see the little nuance there? And so, uh, although we can say that what's happening on the cushion or in the, in the walking or in the yoga and the yogi job is personal. It's happening to me and with my history and this. There's also this very important aspect of practice. Oh, I'm discovering human nature. It's about nature. The nature of having senses. Hearing. Hearing. Hearing is like this for people who hear. You know? Sensing is like this. Um, to me already in, in that, there's some, some taste of freedom in that, some taste of uh, not separation of belonging that uh, adds to the practice, makes uh, uh, there's something that f uh, feels liberating to me as I bring this attitude as I sit, uh, or this understanding even uh, started playing with this. Um, and, you know, as I sit sometimes, uh, there'll be, I don't know, maybe there'll be uh, some anxiety. Let's say I sit with the uh, anxious Pascal, you know. And so as I'm sitting here, I discover, oh, anxiety. This is, uh, this is the national park of anxiety. It's like, like in my way to invite like the notion of nature, it's nature. It's human nature. But now we're in this particular national park. <laughs> the topography or the geography or the rock formations in Anxiety National Park is very different than in the light-hearted national park. Do you see what I mean? It has a different texture. It's a different experience. Yeah. And the national park of sound and hearing, audition, it's a very different landscape than the national park of uh, bodily sensations. It's actually a whole universe. So as I sit, sometimes I discover the universe, the nature of uh, sensations, sometimes the nature of mind, mind states, changing mind states, hopeful, hopeless, confident, arrogant, doubtful, you know, all these different textures, not personal, 
universal. So maybe you'll want to, maybe there's something in there that you'll be interested. That's one point. The understanding that we're moving from the personal to the universal. The other, the second point is the attitude, the friendliness. We already talked about this here. So important. So these three points for me is when I sit, first I remember, oh yeah, Pascal, it's not about you. It's about human nature. What is it to have a heart? What is it to have a body? What is it to have senses? What is it to have a a mind? So first point, we're entering the universal realm of what's going to happen. Second point, is that possible to be friendly here? Or, I like friendly because uh, I think last year I, was, uh, I, I had the chance to spend a, a month teaching with Jack Cornfield. Jack has been teaching for like 40 years or something. Has a lot of wisdom and knowledge. And during the whole retreat, I'm not sure he said once mindfulness but he kept saying, loving awareness. Bring your loving awareness. And you know when somebody who's been teaching for 40 years and encountering practitioners and thinking and practicing, when they keep saying loving awareness, this, I kind of became attentive to that. I said, like, wow, that's the expression he chooses. You know how? So the loving. The loving for me is a little... Um, it's a little too, I don't know, this, it, doesn't, it doesn't work so much for my heart-mind. Friendly works well. Do you, can you follow me a bit? For you, loving might work really well. Friendly for me is more like, um, first it's, it's non-violent attitude. That's kind of the basic for me. A non-violent attitude, an op- some kind of openness. Some friendly. So that works well for me as I sit. Pascal, is it possible to be friendly today? Sometimes with, just with the remembering the point is enough to, when the mind is malleable, it can bring that, oh yeah, I actually want to do this not forcefully, not harshly, not violently, not, you know, but for, in a friendly way. So, Nature, friendly, and then the third point would be really what, what is the job here? What is the task that we have to do? It's actually extremely simple. It's about receptivity, about being available. So it's not like I have to go get something or escape from something, acquire something, produce something. It's not that I should be somebody else, feel differently. It's about being aware. Just knowing. The knowing we don't have to do so much. It comes with life. When we have life, there is already a kind of knowing that is happening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have found the cushion this morning. You know? There's a kind of knowing that is there available. And so to tune in that aspect of reality, that it's possible to know what is happening and kind of nurture that or highlight that in our experience. So it's not, it doesn't require so much effort. The only maybe effort that is uh, welcome or invited, and maybe uh, I'll try to remind us about this at the end of the sitting also, is the continuity. This is the little secret aspect of practice. I don't have to, I just have to discover what is here. I don't have to produce anything. What is here tangible, available? Oh, what's tangible right now for me? It's like, oh, heavy heart, light heart. Oh, what is tangible is legs, tingling, pressure. What is available or tangible, if I can say, use that word? Right now is, oh, for me it's the buzzing, the room tone. I don't need another object. Just this, knowing this. 
letting this be known, really. So basically, I stop telling the world, world what it is, and I just become receptive. I let it talk. I let it talk. I let it reveal itself in its own time. So not much to do. So these are the three points. The job, pretty easy, being available, again and again, starting afresh, every time I get lost in habitual, obsessive mind. Getting out of the trance and just reestablishing what is tangible, available, here, now, in a friendly way, knowing that this is human nature that we're encountering. Okay? Buckle up. And see if, uh, as you sit here, or stand here, if you can uh, let this mindfulness of the body become the body's, the body's mindfulness. Let the body know itself. Whichever phenomena, area reveals itself. For some of us, it might be the handness that is revealed, the hands. Some of us, the breath will know the breath. Just discover how life is manifesting, how nature is manifesting right now through hearing, maybe through agitation. Our kind-heartedness that is tangible. Knowing that we don't have to create anything here. Just be available in a non-violent, non-judging way. Maybe allowing discomfort to be known. Or allowing ease if it's what's there. So we're becoming intimate with this body sitting, breathing, or hearing.
just discovering how life is appearing right now, how it's felt, the texture of this immediate human experience. And generously give your full attention to whatever is arising, sounds, silence. Movements of the belly as it rises and falls or expands and contracts. Just simply and directly knowing the hands resting, tingling, pulsating, whatever they do.
notice as you're sitting here if there is some wanting to escape, wanting to get something else or resist escape from something that is happening. If the mind is rather available right now, welcoming, curious about how this life is manifesting right now, No judgment, just be aware of this. Oh, there is a resistance, there is a wanting something else, or there is an availability, a receptivity. This, as you're sitting here, feeling the sitting posture, sensing the movements of breath. Or just being aware of addition, hearing.
in the last couple of minutes, if you want, try to clarify for yourself the difference between absence-mindedness, mindlessness, and uh, mindfulness or presence of mind. Before I speak a little about, uh, further about the walking meditation practice, there's a few other pieces of information that we'd like to give or clarify for you. Um, one thing that sometimes happens at this time, and perhaps not today, it seems, is that some of the staff who are work, working here at IMS may join this period of meditation, the sitting and instructions, and sometimes they need to leave for some form of work that they have to do at this point before the rest of us leave. And um, we've asked in that case that they maybe walk out the back quietly. Um, I'm not sure they've all got that message. (laughs) And so it's not meant to communicate from them that this piece isn't important or that they wouldn't be interested to be here if they couldn't be but sometimes they would like to join the sitting but just aren't able to be here any longer because of their duties and commitments and so uh, we're happy to have them join us and uh, it's not a, a signal for a sort of general optional exodus at this point. Also just wanted to speak briefly about the red phone, which um, I think was mentioned by Elizabeth in the opening evening talk, um, which is the means whereby you can contact someone if you need to for something that seems urgent or um, of serious concern that might be happening when there isn't someone else to contact. And I think you'll know the red phone is just inside the front office on your right as you go in and there's a particular protocol here we just wanted to let you know because it it seems it wasn't made clear it's not that there's a problem but that when you ring the phone there's two phones it's connected to which are our retreat support fellows Jim and Mindy and 
they will be there. One of them at least will be there to answer you. But they may not be able to answer before the phone clicks into the messaging system. So if you ring and there isn't an answer, don't leave a message first time. Hang it up. They will probably, having heard this call, ring straight back to that line. And if the phone rings, pick it up. It's going to be them. There's no, no one else is going to ring that number. Okay? Now, if that doesn't happen, you wait a few moments after you've hung up and there isn't a call coming back, then ring it. And if it isn't answered, leave a message. What that will mean is that the person, the retreat support fellow who's on duty, for some reason in that moment isn't able to get to the phone, but will do so uh, pretty soon after. And that's their, their commitment and their undertaking. So uh, that's the, the protocol for how that works. Is that reasonably clear? Just in terms of maximizing the, the, the way in which they can contact you. Good. Good. And I think we'll actually have that written on a little notice that sits beside the phone in case you get there and wonder, what did he say? It'll be there, so you can check for that. Also this morning we'll be beginning the cycle of group interviews which I'm imagining you've seen the notices on the notice board. Uh, perhaps you've walked past very equanimously and thought, oh, great big new notice, I'll look at that later. Um, it's not normally what happens I find. It's like, oh, new notice, my name. Oh, We see how those things seem to attract us and it's okay that that's so. With the groups and if you've seen... We'll be meeting you, with you in a rotating cycle where over the next two days we'll meet with all of you in a group. You'll meet with one of us and then in the subsequent days the cycle will continue to rotate and you'll meet with a different one of us the next time. Um, and so it's important that you do check the notice board and pay careful attention to when, which group you're in, when your group is meeting and where it's meeting so that you can actually arrive there for the meeting. And it seems reasonably straightforward in one sense, but sometimes it's easy to get a little confused. So do check and be clear with that. Um, from our point of view, the groups are something a really important and integral part of the retreat. And um, it's a place where we can check in with you to make sure that you're okay, that you're finding your way in this journey, in this process, in which we can explore anything that might seem challenging or that might be um, beneficial to look more deeply into or answer any questions that might be coming for you. And so we do ask that you come along to the groups. Um, and if you don't want to say too much or don't have anything to say, that's okay. We're not going to twist your arm. But we might invite you in a very, uh, I think, uh, hopefully friendly way in line with uh, Pasca. So like the wish, we're interested to hear what's going on in your practice and to offer what guidance and support we're able to with that. And it's also important because we get to listen a little bit to what's going on for each other. Not that we talk in a conversational way in the groups. It's more just one conversation with the teacher followed by another conversation with the teacher that we all participate in the opportunity for that. But that hearing what happens for other people is actually really useful. We can learn a lot in that. And so we do ask that you come along... If for any reason, and it's maybe that there is a reason why this just absolutely doesn't feel okay for you to come and meet in a small group, and that could be for various reasons, that's okay. But what's important then is that you let us know that that's the case, and we'll organise something to take care of what might be needed. But apart from that, it's not just, oh, I don't really feel like it, or, mm, you know. It's more if there's something that, yeah, you, you recognise as important for you, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, we will also, in the following days, be offering spaces for individual interviews on an optional basis and a, for you to um, request by signing your name into an available space or by leaving us a note. If you feel you have something you'd like to speak with us about that you can't bring to the group for some reason or other. But the group is the primary place for having contact with us, asking questions, support and guidance. <coughs> And with the group interviews and beginning today, one of the things that will also be happening is that um, we will be sometimes in the groups joined by Nyanako, who's sitting here dressed in white, and uh, we mentioned him yesterday briefly. Nyanako is an anagarika, which is a, a form of ordination within the tradition from which this teaching and practice comes, and it's a very 
beautiful and noble commitment to undertake and it involves a degree of um, following of precepts and of renunciate guidelines that have some challenges to them. So it's something that uh, you know one doesn't do lightly and that in uh, the countries of uh, Asia where the, the Dharma is more sort of established in the communities, it's something that one would you know have a sense of respect for. How you have a feeling about that is fine. You don't have to have any particular feeling. But that's actually the significance. I'm just naming that so you have some understanding. Anagarikas wear white. That's just the colour of clothing that they wear. In the same way that monks or nuns might wear brown or ochre or black or grey in different traditions. Um, and Nyanako at this time is in the um, teacher training program being run by Insight Meditation Society and Spirit Rock Meditation Centre in California and there's a joint program with some of the senior teachers from those two communities training another generation of teachers and in that training which is a really uh, important thing for the future of our tradition and the you know the transmission of this dharma going forward for and part of his training it's useful for him to hear some interviews and the teaching process taking place so he'll come and join some of the small groups and he'll just be there and um he will be i think uh just listening and learning and uh in that it's something that we hope doesn't impact you and trust won't impact you because he's a he's a pretty kindly soul and uh, has other good qualities too so that will be happening sometimes he may or may not be there in a group and if he is he wasn't on the list but hopefully that's clear as to why he would be there and he'll just be observing and um, that will be beginning today So, one more piece I just want to name. And by the way, did I say it's okay if you need to just move or stretch at this point? If you, you know, don't feel you have to stay sitting, not moving, because we haven't got up yet. It's fine to do what you need to do with your bodies here. Um, it's an interesting sort of retreat culture phenomena that varies in, according to centres and it varies according to teachers and teaching traditions as to what we do in the silence with our, our face and our eyes, we could say. And in some traditional contexts and ones that we also see here at IMS and elsewhere, there's very much a sort of an intention to keep the eyes down and the face downcast. And to not look up and sort of make contact with people, to not look around, and it's almost like in some contexts it's 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 not allowed. You don't. Good yogis do this, you know, while walking or getting their dinner, and that's not what we're saying here. We haven't said that, but it's part of a culture that people might just think, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, and so, how we handle this is not that one must keep one's eyes down and not look around ever. But that if we do, we want to really bring a lot of awareness to what's happening in that. It's fine to have your face up, your eyes open, and to notice the people around you. We're not, as we said yesterday, trying to pretend there's nobody else here. But also to notice what's going on for us if we're doing that. Because it might be that we notice someone else and we find ourselves smiling because it's a human being and mostly we like human beings. That's okay. Now, this human being might have noticed us and might smile back, but they might also not smile back. They might not have even noticed us. They might have been actually focused with something else. And while it's fine to open, notice, or even smile, it's equally fine not to. And so that's a little complicated, isn't it? I smile at someone, they ignore me. Hmm, what do I do with that? Or I smile at someone, they smile at me. Hmm, should we make an appointment for coffee, you know? <laughs> That's what goes on in our lives, doesn't it? And here, to keep it really simple, what I find is mostly actually trying, if it's coming out of some looking for or trying to get something out of this, it's just going to get complicated and messy because it can't really go anywhere usefully in the retreat. So just, I might be here, I might be seeing people, I might be smiling, I might not be. And that's okay. And giving that permission to everybody else. Being aware if we start looking around for entertainment. Oh, who's wearing some nice clothes today? 
Mm. Mm, yeah, I like those. Mm. Oh, so that person needs a style lesson, you know. If we start getting into that, or, or looking where there's some kind of kind of looking for for something that feels unfulfilled in ourselves, like someone to be nice to me, or someone who I might feel might be attractive to me, or might be attracted to me, all of that gets really complicated. And while that's part of what we have to deal with in our world and in our lives, and it's not outside of our practice here, what's more useful is, if there's any of that going on, to really take your attention inward to that process rather than kind of letting it play out in the the looking at and the looking for. And also then, for everyone, we have a certain sense of safety as support and feeling like we're not being looked at or looked for for things, for anything from those around us. And if we feel a bit comfortable or enjoying that people look around, that's how it is. If we feel comfortable and enjoying that someone doesn't look around or doesn't look up, that's how it is. If we feel uncomfortable at someone (coughs) being quiet, looking down, that's how it is. And uncomfortable at someone looking around, that's also how it is. So seeing, if we ask all of ourselves to take responsibility for what's happening, whether we're looking or whether we're aware of looking, or not looking or aware of not looking, that's actually where the richness of the practice is to be found. Rather than some idea of what should or must or should not or must not be happening. And that's actually quite a lot of words about something that in some ways could be quite simple. So I hope that hasn't made it more complicated. And maybe I'm just going to ask, having said all of that, does that seem reasonably clear for you, or does anyone feel confused by actually any of what I've just spoken about? That was quite a lot of information. We have, at least for me, it feels like the rather the privilege and benefit of getting to look at you all the time. Or as much as I want, I can sit here, I get to look at you all. Sometimes you're looking at me, sometimes you're not. Probably not if you're smarter. Um, But, you know, that's just how it is. And, uh, good. Okay, so walking meditation. There's a way in which we kind of continue to come back to an intentionality in practice. It's an intentionality towards being present, towards being mindful, having a a fullness of presence, of awareness in the experience that's happening. And then there's the different forms that's expressed through. So with the walking meditation, what's often really helpful is to just take a moment to remember one's intention. It's like first intention is really, okay, do some walking. You know, find somewhere we can do some walking. The second intention is actually, okay, can I connect? What's it like? How do I feel about this? Am I looking forward to it? Am I feeling like, oh, walking again? I don't really like that. It's no point. You know, it looks like the teachers have snuck off for a cup of tea. They don't do any walking. Did you ever have that thought? It does look like that, doesn't it? Um, and that's really an unfortunate sort of message that seems to appear. It's not the message we would wish, or I would wish to give. But it's like we're saying, okay, here am I, beginning the walking. I find it's useful just to stand for a few moments until I feel like I've landed. If there's any kind of busyness or momentum or just getting there, gonna, now I'm going to do the walking, going to get really concentrated or be really open. or you know, We can kind of feel all of that and it's like, ah, let me be here. And let that being here continue to move as we do, one step at a time. And beginning to explore for yourself what allows you to connect more deeply. And having connected more deeply, what is it that allows you to sustain that connection? That's, our, that's what we're looking for here. The tools, the techniques and the forms, they're in support of this. Initially connecting. Okay, so sometimes if I'm drowsy, walking more briskly is useful. 
Not so slow. Sometimes if I'm really agitated, standing still for a while is helpful. Not beginning to walk, because movement can sometimes stimulate agitation. But seeing what's useful, and then walking for a while. Noticing, okay, maybe sometimes a longer path before I turn around is useful. (coughs) It can be a little bit more soothing if we're agitated or feeling pressured in some way. But if we're getting spun out or lost really easily, sometimes a shorter path because it catches us more quickly. We realize, oh, just walk to the end, here I am again. So we can just begin to explore. And that's not maybe how you'll find it works. It's one way it might work. But see, okay, a little faster, a little slower. A little more movement, a little less. It is quite cool out there, but it's nothing like as cold as it can be here at this time of year. It's all relative. So although it's a little icy, and (coughs) that kind of encourages mindfulness really, so that's okay. If you feel safe to be out there and confident that you're not going to freeze, it can be really interesting to be outside and do some walking, even if it's just for 10 minutes until your nose starts to feel a little sort of blue on the end. Not quite blue, but you know, just starting to get a bit colder than would be happy. And see what that's like. There's something about taking ourselves out of the containment and the relative safety and controlled atmosphere and environment of buildings, which we keep at a comfortable temperature. We know nothing's going to fall out of the sky and you know all of that. And the ground is perfectly flat. So we don't really have to pay attention to our feet because there's never going to be a pebble or an unevenness or a puddle. There's something about that that can be really useful and I really encourage and invite you and... Of course, it's okay if you feel you need to be inside. But if you're finding it hard to connect with the walking practice, if it doesn't feel so alive for you, one of the things that can be useful is to take your shoes and slippers and socks off and walk bare feet. Again, if that ends up in your feet getting really cold, maybe that's not such a good idea. I don't like cold feet, so I'm not trying to sell that one. But there's something about the soles of our feet. They're these incredibly sensitive organs. They've got as many nerve endings as our palms of our hands. But mostly we wrap them up in little leather boxes or rubber boxes these days and make sure they don't have to feel much. Then we wonder why walking on them is a kind of pretty mundane experience. Actually, it's really remarkable. And the first time we ever walked, the first steps we took, it was a remarkable achievement. It was a moment filled with joy for ourselves and everyone around us. A step. And then we learn to do it habitually and unconsciously on the way to somewhere else. What's also helpful with the walking is to remember we're going nowhere. That's why we stop, turn around and come back. We're going nowhere. This is absolutely useless, this activity. It is completely unproductive in conventional terms. You get no extra points for having walked back and forth more times than anybody else. You equally get no extra points for having walked more slowly than anybody else. But you might notice how we start to generate sort of achievement-oriented ideas about the walking. The only thing in the end that really matters is, do I remember that intention to connect and to sustain the connection? How present can I be in this experience, in this moment, one step at a time? And keep coming back to this. Whatever takes us away, for however long you might get lost, begin again. You can do it. And in doing that, it gives so much to all of us. It's actually really inspiring for everyone when we see each other walking. And it gives so much to one's own practice. It's like when we practice in a more sustained way, it's like we're gathering something in in the cupped palm of our hands. We're We're allowing the fullness of heart and mind to gather from its fragmented and dissipated normal condition. And it's like if we gather it together for 45 minutes carefully, tending it, and then we say for 20 minutes, oh, I'm going to drop it. We drop it. And then we start again and wonder, Why is this such hard work? But if we can kind of just somehow in a soft way continue that gathering and that holding 
actually the the steadying and the deepening of heart and of mind that we're interested in, it very organically shows itself as a natural process. And that's what really serves the deepening. So it's time now for some walking practice. And then we have the next sitting at 10 o'clock. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.